The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 696 of IGN's weekly PlayStation show. That's such a high number. Every time I say it now, it just feels so strange. Uh, the gang is here. The whole gang is back. I feel like I'm on a reunion episode years after the fact, <laughs> but we're all back together, and we have actually quite a lot of PlayStation news to jump into. But before we begin, I'm joined this week by Brian Altano. Hey, PlayStation. <laughs> Lucy O'Brien. I feel like I look like I'm on a reunion episode years after the fact. (laughs) And Max Scoville's back. Hey, Max. Hey, it's good to be back. Glad to have you back. I love to go to work. It's good. It's a good time to wake up, you know, whenever the alarm clock makes you. You No, that's true. It's actually deeply anticlimactic. Like, my wife was really upset. Like, I'm going to be horrible when you're off paternity leave. And it's like, I just go in this room. It's (laughs) nothing different, you know? Like, I'm still changing diapers and getting up and stuff. Anyway, yeah, good to be back. PlayStation, everybody. <laughs> well, and also, just since this is now, we, we said it, of course, while you were off the air, but congratulations. Oh, yeah. On the, yeah, the thank you. The newest member of the Scoville yeah. family. The the play, uh, the newest uh, insta- PlayStation family member. Or whatever. <laughs> I did I think know. Kratos is a weird name for a little girl, but I, I hey, support she you. was Respect born with that weird, uh, She had the white and the, the tribal tattoo face thing and a little mm-hmm. soul patch, like the guy from Godsmack. It just seemed like a good name, you know? I yeah. feel like we should talk about why that was the choice you made. But yeah, that's uh, other than that, congratulations to you. But we're, we're glad to have you back and we're, we're glad to have you back, especially in a week where there is a lot of PlayStation news to discuss, uh, both on the firmware and software side side because we've learned about uh some possible uh unannounced sony games both canceled and maybe not uh that we'll dig into in a little bit but uh the the biggest thing that i want to talk about that is uh happening actually today as we're recording the show and the the day it goes live now uh is that the ps5 has gotten its first big update uh there have been i think since launch a lot of requests for a lot of different features uh obviously the ps5 ui is completely different from the ps4 ui and there's been a lot of changes both some that i think have been more well received than others uh but just to quickly run it down the the uh Uh, update is available right now it changes some things like you are able to finally download ps5 games to uh, external usb drives you can't play them off there but you can at least actually download them to there instead of just deleting and re-downloading there are now new social social features excuse me so you can uh, actually do share play cross generation so you technically don't need a ps5 to play a ps5 game you just need a friend who has a ps5 to share play with you their ps5 games uh and then in addition to that there's been some changes to the game base uh 
some other pre-download and game library customization options, some slight changes to the trophy settings. Uh, and then today, as it went up, they hadn't announced it uh, in the initial PlayStation blog post, but there have been some slight changes that include uh, some different HDR support and uh, support for a 120 hertz monitor. So if you're someone who plays your PS5 on a PC monitor that supports that, uh, you can now use those monitors differently. Uh, there will be also some updates to the PlayStation app, which I'm actually a heavy user of, and that I uh, I like some of these changes because they include actually having the ability to manage your PS5 console storage. So you, you can now not just download games, but actually deal with what's on your PS5 uh, remotely, which is something the Xbox app has allowed you to do uh, previously. But uh, of course, this also leaves a lot of room for things that weren't added. Uh, I think some of the biggest things that people want are variable refresh rate, uh, things like the M2 drive support that will essentially allow you to have expandable storage that meets the SSD requirements of the PS5, uh, and and more things on top of that. I reached out on Twitter to ask people, and we can dive into that. But um, generally, I, w- I wanted to throw to the three of you, and Brian, I'll start with you. We've we've talked before about uh, you know like firmware updates and things, and th- this is where we get into like the really nitty gritty of something that is like made a really big deal out of, but it's a lot of like underneath the surface stuff that you might not immediately notice. Um, so I, I was curious at least to start, like, is anything here a really big change or addition you feel like is going to improve your PS5 experience or is it kind of just same from here? Um, there was also a controller update, but I don't think anyone actually knows as of right now what was in there. It was just yes, sort of like, yeah. don't forget. Um, so I'm excited to see how that can sort of evolve. But yeah, the storage thing is nice. I don't particularly know if I'll rush to take advantage of it yet because I think I have like mild, uh, like kind of just terror of overloading my PS5. It is just constantly warning me that there's too much stuff in there. So I, I keep it pretty slim as is. Uh, but I do appreciate that there's that option to just kind of have stuff on deck because games are gigantic and the PS5 hard drive is tiny. And so it's it'll be nice to get something like get a little bit of sort of control over that situation. Um, ultimately, like that should have been rectified before the systems were even shipped. And hopefully it does if they ever do a revision. But for now, that's a that's a nice little step. I'm into it. And uh, Lucy, how about for you? I I remember when the the PS5 came out, we were talking a lot about the, the, the changes to the UI. I think something I didn't realize was like a lot of people, at least like generally colloquially that I've seen, don't really like the UI these days. Um, it, it feels yeah. like they, you know, after years of working toward a PS4 UI that everyone was pretty comfortable with, the PS5 UI is sort of starting from scratch a little bit. Um, yeah. it, go ahead. Sorry. No, I agree. I mean, I, I still... I know this is, and people will probably get mad at me in the comments for saying this, but I still really struggle with turning that thing off, like putting it like to, to rest. I still kind of like sort of hit the dual sense with a banana every time. Just like eventually I get to the, to the rest mode <laughs> option. Um, I think that there are still plenty of improvements to come. Um, I do want to shout out that uh, the Zoom feature in particular uh, was something that a lot of people were clamoring for um, because the PS4 had it and the PS5 didn't ship with it. Um, And it's, you know, one of those features that's really important for accessibility. Um, So I like seeing uh, PlayStation make strides towards making their console more accessible for users that, that, that may need it. Which is, you know, like, again, with all things accessibility is most of us. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, just to specify exactly what that is for those who may not know, you can now adjust the magnification of the screen 
uh, to suit your preference from the settings menu. And on that note, definitely want to shout out um, Lucy. I believe you had, you had commissioned and worked with uh, freelancers to have uh, accessibility mm-hmm. reviews of the of the new consoles when those launched as well. And uh, right. we're a few months out, but definitely go back and check those um, for I think a really interesting angle and a, and a look at how important some of the features you may not think of uh, if you don't have to use them are for these consoles. Totally, and it's like you know with with. It, we're very lucky these days that consoles are essentially works in progress. They're not like static things. So everything can constantly be iterated on and improved on. Um, and it's good to see these companies have uh, a, a growing focus on accessibility. Absolutely. And uh, Max, for you, are, are any of these changes, uh, do they feel significant at all for you for for how you play or are you kind of waiting for? Not really. I'll, I'll check out the app. Yeah. But honestly, the app was always a thing I would mostly use if I was out of the house, which I don't really do anymore. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was always handy to be like, oh, I'll set something to download without having to go and turn on the PS5 and do all that. And it's nice to sort of do that sort of send, you know, send to your home PS4 or whatever. Um yeah, as for the UI, like I'm right there with Lucy. Like there's a bunch of like the weird things where you swap between games and media with the with the triggers. I still hit that trying to go all the way to the right or left, um, you know, just hoping like which is what the, you know, the PS4 interface does. And then the whole uh, the whole switcheroo on, on, you know, hitting the hitting the PlayStation button to get the power turned off, which just seems like an odd, just a very odd choice. You know, like it's it's like that's, you know, that's like inverting camera controls. It's one of those things that I I, I think it throws a lot of people for the loop and uh I don't know. I mean, I'm getting used to it, but the, the real thing is I hate turning off my PS5 because I'm having too much fun playing the games. Um, <laughs> Great <yeah. one. laughs> as for As for the hard drive stuff, I feel like I've fully gotten accustomed to treating that like a little game in and of itself. Like it's basically yeah. the Resident Evil 4 briefcase, but with, you know, actual games. I'm just constantly <laughs> shuffling it around and being like, ooh, like, do I want to delete Bloodborne again? Or do I want to get rid of this? Or like, oh, I guess I don't need to save any of these, you know, these video clips I accidentally captured by pushing the wrong button. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. One thing that has come to my attention, and I feel like a, you know, a complete, um, you know, able-bodied buffoon for bringing this up, but like in terms of uh, accessibility, uh, it is infuriating how many things could be like one-handed controller options that just aren't. Um, like part of the reason I bought that, that stupid media remote was hoping that it would make it easier to just be like, Oh, I'm going to turn on my PlayStation and shuffle around through Netflix because I don't necessarily want to take a two handed controller and have to do that. Um, it is, it is flat out just frog stupid that on the YouTube app to use the voice search. And I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who suddenly has to hold something very valuable with one hand, i.e. a baby and don't necessarily have access. Like if I'm trying to, you know, juggle a bottle and be like, I'm going to put on a video to keep me entertained while I'm being sleep deprived. Um, to use the voice search on YouTube, which is awesome because it beats the hell out of using a little button, you know, button keyboard thing. Um, you have to hit L2 and then everything else is done to select is with the face buttons and then to navigate is with the the left stick. And it seems to me like maybe you could have mapped the voice search to R2 and maybe let you navigate with the right stick and use the face buttons to interact. And you could do the entire thing with one hand. And it just seems like one of those really just it could have been a very easy like swap thing. And this is across a lot of apps. And like there's plenty of games, too, that like you could I mean, you know, Disco Elysium is effectively a point and click game. Uh, you know, stuff like like personas and entirely turn based. You're mostly just navigating menus aside from running around Shibuya Station. It's just I don't know. It's something that I never that never occurred to me because I am, you know, uh, a able able bodied, you know, person who typically is using both hands to use a controller. It's just I don't know. It's just a weird, weird thing that jumped out at me. So, I mean, I'd love to see Sony kind of jump on the same level that, um, you know, that Xbox is doing with that, you know, crazy modular controller. 
yeah, the adaptive controller has yeah. done a lot to move that stuff forward. But I, I think you're totally right in saying all that stuff. And um, to both your and Lucy's points, like it is something that I think we're thinking about more and more. And as we continue to notice these things and think about these things more, I think it will drive both the people making those apps who who have, you know, those choices as well as the, the main platform holders uh, to build stuff in either on an app level or at a system level. And and so I hope we continue to see updates like this. Um, I, I think I, in terms of a usability thing, especially for longtime PlayStation people, uh, you all are not alone. I know, Lucy, you're joking about you, you think people might get upset, but like other than variable refresh rate, uh, I think the thing most people responded to me on Twitter with was, can they just swap the hold versus press for turning off the console? Yeah. Why did it's, they do it's that? Also baked, <laughs> it's also baked into our muscle memory from yeah. the PS4. Yeah. And I just like, it was such a weird switcheroo. Like, I'm like, why was that necessary? I would love to hear the explanation yeah, because I, I just still haven't got used to it. I understand that every time we bring this up, there's people in the comments being like, oh, it takes two seconds. Just get over it. I, I get that. I totally, I totally understand that. But it's also, it's just like one of those very simple things that uh, I wish they would just put the option in there for us because it's uh, it's something you do a lot. And it, for, you know, seven, eight years, we've been turning off our PS4s a certain way. And now we have to, there's like a second where your brain goes, oh yeah, that's right. That's not how that works there. Which I get it. It's not, it's not, a, there's far bigger problems in the world. You're on, <laughs> you're on a video game YouTube channel. Okay, this is where you decided to fight your battles. I get it. I get it. But you know, it um, takes it takes two seconds to just not type a comment like that too. That's an option. <laughs> just put I that just, out there. I would like. And it I also would just, takes two seconds to give us a thumbs up. Don't forget yeah, to that's subscribe. That's true. Well, Max said Xbox earlier, so I'm going to the true. comments to, to download the whole episode. No, uh, I, I, it's just a little thing, and uh, I, you know, I see people tweeting about it all the time, and yeah, it's it's sort of frivolous and pointless. But I like it. And it's, it's it's like, I don't know, it's a very simple thing that we've been doing for a very long time. The UI itself, I'm, I'm with you guys. It's it's definitely a little um, like it's one of those hyper minimalist streamlined things that actually causes more chaos than it does um, sort, of, sort of usability. Or on paper, you look at it and you're like, oh, this is this is gorgeous and fluid and simplified. And I love that. Uh, but it's kind of like when Google redid their suite of apps uh, and you're just like, what is this rainbow garbage now? <laughs> like, I don't know what anything <laughs> yeah. is anymore. Um, like I went to download, I think it was like the HBO max app on my PS five. And I was like, Oh yeah, where do you guys hide that now? Like it, it there's just like subsections under subsections to get to just video apps and stuff like that. And I, I appreciate that the store isn't this whole thing now that you click over to and then it pinwheels for 45 seconds. And you're like, Are we doing it? Or like, can I, can I spend money here or no? Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I feel like it still has a long way to grow. And like Lucy said, like, it's it's very good that these systems aren't locked in on day one like they were for for decades. Like when you bought a console, that's the way it was or a Nintendo Switch. Like That's basically <laughs> been very, very simple, uh, similar to how it, it's been since launch, which with very minor um, differences and additions here and there. But yeah, still, I'm, I'm happy to see it grow. Still waiting on more than two themes for my Nintendo Switch. Um, yeah. If speaking of themes, themes was a thing that I saw a lot of people um ask for as well i'm sort of split because i think unless they overhauled the ps5 um uh ui a bit because i think brian to your point like they went for this really big like bold splash pages and really like more 
uh, minimalist in terms of all the like accoutrement around it, but that also means each game as you're on that page is the focus. And so I don't know mm-hmm. if themes have a place currently, but I also think like themes seem like an easy way to make a few extra bucks per game and people who they're love them. S- they're really so stupid them. and I love them. Yeah. Like I turn on my, my PS4 um, and it, I've got like the untitled goose game theme and I just like forgot <laughs> I had so it good. and I was just briefly like, oh, the goose is here. It doesn't just yeah. look like, you know, Netflix for Dark Souls, which is what the PS5 has just yeah. swapping I, through and just. I had the Bloodborne theme for my um, PS4, which was one of the best themes, I think, on the PS4. I loved it. It was so gorgeous and like cohesive across everything. Yeah. I would love that on my PS5. Me the, too. Me too. I had per- the Platinum one and that the, the Platinum Bloodborne theme. And it wasn't even like a great, it's not even amazing looking. Like the, the stock <laughs> Bloodborne one is actually way better. But it was one of those things where it was like I could be in such a rut and turn on my PS4 and be like, oh, yeah, an accomplishment that I did once. Yeah, no, they, had, they, uh, they're a reminder of that stuff. Go ahead, Max. Sorry. I was going to say I had the Cyberpunk 2077 theme for I want to say three and a half years. And then the game came out and then wasn't available for PS4. So, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> Still not. You know, they, yeah. yeah, it's uh, still unavailable. Uh, just that's our, our weekly segment. Cyberpunk still unavailable. Um, but no, it's sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say really quick, have you guys noticed that like on the front page of the PS5 under like every game category, if you scroll down like half an inch, there are just like, it's like user submitted content and it's just like, like just really like sort of like horrendous children's thumbnails of like Twitch streams that they did. I don't feel like that information is necessarily pertinent to me as an old man. Like I, I know some people look for that kind of stuff, but to me it's just like you have this beautiful, sleek, minimalist console mm-hmm. with this um, you know clean ui and you scroll down a half an inch and there's just this guy that's just like i shot 40 bugs and it's just like in all caps and it's like those throw up font it's great those used to be buried way further down on the ps4 like you'd have to go through a few menus and yeah i think for me like the, there's a time and a place where i'm going to watch someone stream and if i am i'm probably just going to go over to the twitch app like mm-hmm. i think if i own a game the last thing I want to do is click over to that game and go like, I'm not going to play this. I'm going to go watch someone else play this. Even though if I was going like if I was going to go play the game, why would I be like, never mind? Um, it's I, I think there's a lot more valuable information that could be put more immediately in your face about this stuff. Um, and as as you were all saying, like there's a chance for things to be refreshed. But it it is that like unfortunate uh, given take of like I'm I'm glad of some changes, but I also wonder why they made some of these other changes. Like for me, one of the one of the updates here that is great, and it goes back to the storage thing is you're now able to set uh, sort of the level at which you want the game uh, every game to capture and save images or videos for the trophies you acquire. So you don't have to just have your your hard drive filled with like bronze trophy screenshots and videos that you'll <laughs> yeah, never look at, which is great. That's my experience. Just a whole load of bronze. Yeah. And, and having to like go delete all that stuff is such a waste of time. So I, <clears throat> I love that that's there, but a thing that a lot of people like myself who, who collect trophies pretty regularly hate is that now the way that you look at them is all horizontally, whereas it used to be vertically. And as weird as that sounds, it like demonstrably makes it a more difficult and annoying experience to sort through. Um, cause mm-hmm. it used to be so much more smooth to just go down that list, but now it's, it's this weird give and take where you can only see maybe like three or four trophies at a time. Um, it's one of those things that I wish would be changed now, but it, as you're all were saying, like, this is going to be a, a in change progress that we'll see over time. But it's, uh, especially when there's only a few million people versus a hundred million on PS4 and PS5, it's, it's going to be interesting as more people ad- adopt the console and where we get to at that point. 
This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK, so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I, unless there's any other major changes that anyone saw uh, that stood out to you, um, figured we could move on from there because there is a bit of a interesting behind-the-scenes PlayStation discussion to have, uh, and that is... Let's talk a, about that. Yeah, there is a report that broke last week from Bloomberg and Jason Trier uh, that I highly recommend reading through the the full report of it, and there's definitely been some, uh, some talk after the fact of it, and we can get into that as well, but uh, this, this big report was essentially a look at sort of the 
behind the scenes machinations of some of the projects we may and may not see at PlayStation uh, and how uh, as I'm going to crib my own writing, but essentially Sony's reliance on its biggest blockbusters and and the games that are too big to fail versus anything else. Uh, And so the report goes into things uh, like that secret Sony studio that we've been talking about for years that many people assumed was uh, working on an Uncharted game. Uh, According to Schreier's report, uh, that group, which was at the visual arts service group uh, in Sony that has normally sort of been the pinch hitter to help other studios and come in and assist them across the finish line. Uh, This uh, 30-strong development group, apparently at the time, was working on a remake of The Last of Us, The Last of Us 1. (laughs) Uh, They're working on that remake, uh, but however, the team was reportedly running into trouble Um, One, about their existence being kept a secret, and then allegedly Sony not offering extra budget or time and focus to help the project see see through. Uh, Eventually, uh, according to the report, and again, this is all allegedly, Sony has not confirmed or uh, commented on any of this. Uh, Herman Holst uh, reportedly deemed the project too expensive in this new studio's hands uh, and wanted instead that team to be focusing on support for the development of The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, and then allegedly this project was moved into Naughty Dog and it has since effectively become Naughty Dog's project. Uh, in addition to that, we learned that uh, on the Sony Bend side, and these are the, the two big ones that I want to focus on, uh, Sony Bend, after Days Gone was released, uh, had been pitching a sequel and reportedly working on one. That project was reportedly rejected, according to the report. Um, and then Sony allegedly then moved Bend onto two Naughty Dog related projects, both a multiplayer game and a new Uncharted. But that caused people at the studio reportedly to be so concerned that they would essentially be um, uh, consumed into Naughty Dog proper and sort of lose their own identity. Uh, that some people uh, left, some people asked to be taken off the project, then they eventually were taken off of it and are working on a new game. But uh, Days Gone 2, uh, at least at the time, was deemed too much of a risk to take, even though the game was allegedly profitable, according to the Bloomberg report. Um, that is a, a lot of detail, but I sort of wanted to get the top level stuff out of the way. It is also, of course, worth mentioning that on the the note of Days Gone, uh, after the fact, Jeff Ross, who previously was at the studio and appeared on uh, David Jaffe's live stream slash uh, a YouTube channel, was talking about uh, the the report itself and couldn't confirm uh, too much because of non-disclosure agreements. Uh, he did say that uh, his the original pitch from the team was that they wanted it to be a co-op experience with some larger shared world elements. Um, so doing something a little bit more expansive and taking the idea of these freaker hordes and the world they've created and making a co-op experience. So we can get into the nitty gritty of what Days Gone 2 would have been uh, in a little bit. But uh, I think let's start with the the overarching Last of Us remake of it all and the the lack of faith in this this alleged team to make it and then move it over to to Naughty Dog. Um, there there are so many places to go, uh, and I, I guess I'll start with the Last of Us remake itself. And Lucy, I want to start with you. Um, mm-hmm. Just a Last of Us remake seems like a strange <laughs> choice to go immediately toward. I think for a lot of people, um, especially well, for a, yeah. a new team's first project. Yeah, I mean, you know, I understand uh, the sort of pros and cons of investing in a, in a Last of Us remake. Um, I understand why, why, how it could work. 
Um, for example, if you were going to uh, remake The Last of Us um, and have like a PS5 Last of Us Part 2, PS5 version of The Last of Us and package that all in a single thing, uh, all boosted and upgraded, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like that's just kind of like, yeah, I can see there being a place for that particular product. Um, but I completely agree with, with so Dorno, you, you wrote a piece recently and, and, and shot a video, uh, an opinion piece about how uh, the whole report in general, including this Last of Us remake uh, news, really paints a picture of Sony being very risk averse. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and to me, the Last of Us, our Last of Us remake is really not needed in the grand scheme of things that um, a studio, a first party studio could be doing. Uh, the game is what, eight years old. It's already had a remaster that was really good. Um, you know, the Last of Us 2 uh, came out very recently. Uh, it's it sort of, it, it's like a nice to have, but not a need to have. And and so the fact that, that there were resources um, and first party resources being put uh, towards this remake is, 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 is odd to me. Um, it definitely didn't feel like we needed that. Um, and it would have been nice. I mean, it would be nice across the board to see some more experimentation and new IP uh, coming from Sony's first party stable. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Brian, I'll throw to you next. I, I, it's, it's a curious one to me. And as Lucy had mentioned, I wrote a piece about it is I, I think it's the the report shows that is emblematic of them being risk averse. Of course, them wanting to make sure a Last of Us remake gets handled properly is not a risk in any way. I, as Lucy said, I can absolutely see from a top level executive money making reasoning of like this is one of our most successful franchises ever. It's one of our most critically well received franchises. The TV show is coming out and that'll introduce it to a whole new audience. This this all makes sense, but it 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 is part of a larger picture that I think is a, a little bit concerning. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I mean, I I think as if if you look at like these sort of like AAA in-house studios uh, that that Sony is aligned with, uh, they they ultimately have a finite amount of resources and games that they can you know conceivably create in our lifetime, and I don't really think a Last of Us remake was at the top of anybody's list in terms of you know things we would demand or want. I mean, even if you look at the 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 stable of of playstation exclusive and playstation adjacent franchises there are so many more uh you know sort of vintage awesome games that could really benefit from a modernized coat of paint rather than something like the last of us that said you know devil's advocate last of us 2 added a ton of combat options that game is like incredibly fun to play when you really kind of use all the parts uh and so it, that would be cool to throw in there but i i think this speaks to a larger issue that a lot of uh, the general public and a lot of gamers in general don't necessarily uh, have the patience to go back and play something that's even eight or nine years old. Like it's to me, it's unfathomable because I'm capable of doing those things. I know a lot of people are are able to do those things, but I, I, games age weirdly. And I think a lot of people mm -hmm. don't really want to play a game from eight or nine years ago. Or uh, there's this understanding that games have to be cutting edge and stunning and uh, unlike anything you've ever seen before. And to push this new show and get millions of people watching on this prestige pay for cable network, you're all of a sudden going to get a bunch of people going, Oh, so this is based on a game. What, which game? And they're like, Oh, it's this game from eight or nine years ago. And then they see it and they're like, 
well, that doesn't look as good as a game that came out this year. And that's kind of a bummer to me. Like, I wish I wish we would it sort of collectively escape that cage of having to make sure that every video game is cutting edge and the most beautiful thing ever, because otherwise we won't uh, take the time to consume the story. So I see it both ways. I completely understand why from a business uh, business perspective they would want to have a new version of this classic game out. Um, and I think I can call something classic when it's, you know, almost a decade old or would be <laughs> by the time this TV show comes out. Uh, Just don't call it an instant classic, which is a phrase I absolutely hate. Wait, what is that even? Yeah. <laughs> Makes no sense. <laughs> like you haven't even died. Like this is the best sandwich I've ever eaten. And it's like, you give it a minute, like see how, see what it does to your insides. Maybe you have regrets later. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I am. I understand why they have to do this or why they want to do this. I mm-hmm. wish this, this wasn't the priority. I, I would rather a new story or a new game or multiple new games, uh, as it seems, this this almost cannibalized, you know? Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I am on it. Yeah, uh, Max, uh, sorry, I saw you were just about to go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, to <laughs> echo everyone else here, I think, like, just it, it all feels kind of samey, you know? Like, hearing that it's a remake or a remaster or a redo, even the fact that the HBO show is a retelling of the first game. I mean, obviously, they're going to change some stuff, but, like, I was sort of hoping that it would expand that universe and do some different corner of that. Like, we've seen, um, I mean, that's, I, I feel like the more... Uh, the larger universes out there in terms of sort of, you know, transmedia fiction or whatever they call it these days. uh, That's what it does is it sort of fleshes out different corners. Like you don't see, you know, there's not like a Disney plus show that's like retelling the events of a new hope in show form. Like that would be weird. Um, You know, like every walking dead show is kind of fleshing out one corner of that. And it seems kind of odd that the jump between, um, you know, games and and a TV show is doing that. Uh, And then to sort of, need to cash in on that by I mean again this is totally totally theoretical but the first thing that popped into my head when I heard about this idea of this being a, a Last of Us remake would be basically reskinning uh you know Joel with uh with Pedro Pascal like making it making it line up with the aesthetics of the HBO show and trying to have effectively uh, a very very triple A very polished licensed game from the license holder is it still a licensed game if it's like the people who own it or make like you know what I mean? Like normally like a licensed game is like, I think they oh, would yeah. have to call it the last of us, the TV show, the game. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That's, that's such a weird thing to me. And then there wasn't there also talk in the, in the, that article about like an uncharted remake or reboot or. Yeah. So, so I'll bring up the specifics and this gets into the, the, the larger parts of it all. Uh, and let me, let me pull up the full thing, but uh, essentially there was word that, and sorry, my links are going everywhere. Um, oh, an IGN video I could watch. How perfect. Um, the, uh, the part about Uncharted was that uh, Bend, when they uh, essentially couldn't go forward with Days Gone 2, uh, seemed to be working with Naughty Dog on uh, multiple projects, one being a multiplayer thing, which we assume is sort of a, a follow-up to the, the Last of Us factions, uh, and then as well as a new Uncharted. Uh, but a lot of the, the Bend developers allegedly feared that they might be absorbed into Naughty Dog, and the studio's leadership asked to be taken off the Uncharted project, um, and they are now working on a new game of their own. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's unclear what the status of that Uncharted project was. Of course, it's really interesting to note that I, this this mystery team that ended up allegedly working on that Last of Us remake, most people assumed for a long time the rumors were that they were working on Uncharted. Um, right. So it, it all comes back to it eventually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just um, I wonder if like with Sony sort of trying to throw their kind of their crown crown jewel, um, you know, first party gaming properties into a different medium and try to get like a more mainstream appeal with, um, you know, with movies and and TV. Like it totally makes sense to have something 
something enticing that looks like that to kind of lure people over onto the gaming side. Like if they're, you know, more casual people who, you know, their first exposure to The Last of Us is an HBO show or their first look at Uncharted is a Tom Holland movie. Uh, like, I, I kind of get that, but it, it's it just gives me an icky feeling. Again, it's totally like a weird gut feeling, but like, I hope that that's not what they're doing. Like, I hope that they're, you know, not trying to basically, I, I guess, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you'd call Just try to make more, uh, try to make their games line up with their adaptations of their games. Like, that's just a, a weird. Huh. Yeah. I'm uh, the thing is like, uh, and this is, you know, uh, this, this, it's pretty easy to say this, but uh, I, I feel like had they gone with an approach of making the TV show, uh, a story that's sort of adjacent to what's happening in the game or focus on new characters that gives the opportunity to make a new game based on new characters. And I feel like that's such a win-win for everybody rather than like you're chasing this bizarre loop of making a show based on a game and then needing to make a game that, uh, you know, feeds into that show so that this consumers are spending money in a circle. Um, it like, we're looking at, uh, if you're watching the video, we're watching, looking at footage of like, uh, some fairly old at this point, uncharted games or a couple of them. Um, Games age weird, right? It's bizarre. Like uh, you could hypothetically remake your favorite game every 10 years for the rest of your life, just chasing the sort of, you know, uh, the perfect version. Yeah. The uncanny valley of it all. Right. The perfect version of it. And you'll never truly catch it because that's just the way that works. Um, something Max mentioned, we we had talked about this in a video uh, last week about the potential of them reskinning Joel and Ellie to be based on, you know, the characters in the TV show. I find that to be such a like just horrible, horrible potential idea. Uh, If you look at the backlash that happened when the Spider-Man remastered game came to PS5 and they reskinned, you know, uh, Peter Parker character, Peter Parker's character, recast him, everything like that. It's a lot of backlash there. Like people, I don't think people really understand. I mean, if you're listening to the show, you understand if you're a casual person watching HBO, maybe not. Joel and Ellie are two of the most iconic characters to ever come from this medium, like the medium of video games, like Having them cast as different people on a TV show is one thing, but looping back to the game and re-skinning skinning them to be uh, actors when like Joel and Ellie were two of the most defining examples of like this is what this is what this medium can do when it puts on its like big big boy pants and tries to tell like a Hollywood style story. Like these these are characters that have made people cry. Like this is like this these are like really important characters to a lot of people. And I I feel like just swapping them out with actors from a TV show is like doing a tremendous disservice to what games have accomplished as a storytelling and narrative medium from the jump. Altano, I I totally agree with you, but was that ever seriously floated? No, I mean, no, like, it, just, it, it wasn't. It was just it's like, just yeah. been one of the yeah, just just for anyone. No, we are we are totally that's a, that is a. The, that is an un, un, unwarranted fear currently. Yeah, we, <laughs> we just... are preemptively angry at something that isn't even remotely confirmed to be true. And I'm getting it out of my system now. So when it does happen in a couple months, I can sit in like a old reclining chair and be like, oh, I was there. At the beginning we can just roll the clip. Just watching this clip. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We'll, we'll be on a talk show and we could just be like, and play that back. I mean, Thank you. The underlying um, thing here is like in, both in terms of seeing games that I've already played sort of remade or, or rehashed or whatever, and also seeing games adapted into movies. It, it's 
it's more of the same, you know, like it's not, the fact is this is a cutting edge medium and this is, this is a, a effectively limitless space. That's also, you know, prohibitively expensive to get too crazy with. And I feel like, you know, games are trying to kind of rein it in and be like, how do we, you know, how do we produce a cutting edge triple A video game that both uh, attracts a wide new audience, but pleases the fans. And it also comes in under budget and ahead of schedule and doesn't kill the developers in the process. How do we do that? Like that's, that's a big question. And to do it with kind of an unproven franchise or IP, that's, uh, you know, considerably riskier than doing it with, you know, the game that sold the last five games sold a million units or like the, you know, the, the last two iterations were, you know, huge successes aside from all the angry comments on the second one. You know, like it, it makes sense to be like, you know, to kind of to play it safe. But at the same time, it's sort of disappointing on that level in the same way that it's disappointing to hear that the HBO show is not going to tread new territory or do anything new and crazy. It's sort of going to be like a I don't know, it's going to be they, like a remix. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, well, they I mean, did say I, they're yeah. going to take some creative liberties with some stuff. Like, some stuff will be a little bit different. But then, again, like, will that be reflected in the video game adaptation? Will there be two different, like, story mm -hmm. versions of The Last of Us where, like, I'm talking to a friend and I'm like, have you played The Last of Us? And they're like, yeah, I can't believe Pedro Pascal killed Ellie. I'm like, what? What? I'm trying <laughs> to think if there's, any, if there's any other times we've actually, again, we don't know if this is going to happen, but, like, the only other version of this that I can think of, and I, I could be wrong here, is Street Fighter the movie The Game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, has yeah. ever has yeah. have we seen like a, a thing like this before? Or? I mean the Lego movie the game, but other than that. Um But like but you know, just to just to because I did yes. actually hold that interview with Neil Druckmann. I was just about to uh, say yeah. about about that the HBO adaptation. Yeah. Um and you know, he was he 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 didn't he certainly didn't say this is gonna be a straight up like beat for beat adaptation. It, it, it is it is yes it is the first game but in a very broad sense so there's a lot of stuff that is going to be very different a lot of stuff that's going to be very new a lot of stuff that's potentially going to in introduce a whole bunch of other uh stuff in the last of us universe um because of course you know they they this would no one would just be like we want one season of this thing like yeah. you know the whole idea is to explore this universe and expand upon it uh, so I, you know, after chatting with him, I really got the vibe that it was, this is kind of a launching point. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be, you know, the occasional line that people will re recognize, obviously the characters, um, are recognizable, but it's certainly not, uh, you know, a, a doggedly faithful adaptation. Yeah. I think as you were speaking to him, uh, one of the things, uh, Neil said was that some of his favorite stuff that they've been doing is the stuff that is completely new and, and doesn't mm -hmm. just go beat for beat for the show. And hey, hey, you're completely right, Lucy. Like they don't want to set that show up to be a one and done season. Like, you know, HBO knows what they got out of game of Thrones, the ending season aside, like th they have potential and it is much easier to spin around another season of a show versus a sequel to the last of us. And so there, there is the, like whether or not the, cause uh, as you were saying, like the, the reskinning of the characters thing, I, I think that aside, I understand the, the remake nature of wanting to do that, especially to line up and comfortably have something there, uh, alongside the game or alongside the show, excuse me. And I, I think as you all were noting, like there's enough advancements in the AI and the stealth and, and all the gameplay of the last of us part two, that the, the one critique most people had of the first, the last of us was like the, the gunplay and the stealth was just kind of there. And, and mm -hmm. so to, right. to match it up to the last of us part two would be awesome. And I would, you know, cynically very much like to play that, but it, I think bringing it back into what this, this whole report was trying to show was that 
if, you know, a new studio doing that can't quite get the funding that they want to, if Days Gone, after being profitable, can't have a sequel because it didn't necessarily review amazingly out of the gate, but had a very strong support for it from the fan base afterward, if if, if those things can't succeed from a, from a company that, you know, produced games like Parappa the Rapper <laughs> and Gravity Rush and things like that, like where we see these weird offshoots in between the big games. Um, you know, one of the things I said in my my op-ed was like, you know, The Last of Us was kind of a risk when it first happened. Like, did people want it an extremely risk. serious, you know, macabre uh, third-person action game that explored, you know, the meaning of family and life and death in this post-apocalypse? Um, or... Could a God of War revival that was mostly focused around a father and son story that was very cinematically purposed work as well? You know, those are those are risks within established franchises or established ideas because uh, Naughty Dog had the Uncharted framework. But even Uncharted comes from a studio that made mascot platformers. You know, I keep I, saying I want Crash Bandicoot's divorce the game. I want the I, marriage story with the Bandicoot. I want it to wait, be. Wait, no, 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 no. Give me the crash visual. I thought you wanted a realistic Crash Bandicoot where it was just a little like. Lucy, real I don't know what I want. Bandicoot with a little pair <laughs> of underwear on. I've never forgotten that. I want I the real life that. Bandicoot. I want a JPEG of a real life Bandicoot that you play as and jump around. But no, I like can, it. it can, I think for I, me. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Lucy. Well, I'm, I'm sort of interrupting you, Dono, and I, I apologize, but I, I'm just aggressively agreeing with everything that you're saying. And I, I do want to touch on Days Gone. Um, I don't want to, you know, gloss over that. For um, sure, yeah. In favor of The Last of Us remake, because for me, that was more of a bummer. And I know that this sounds very rich coming from someone who <laughs> did not score the original highly when I reviewed it back whenever it was. You gave it what, like, a six some, like a six something? I think I gave it a 6.8. Yeah, that means it was a little bit under okay, a, so a almost seven. a seven. I mean, it's not like you gave it a two out of 10 and tanked the studio. Like let's, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's weird because I haven't reviewed anything in so long. Like, like, cause my job at IGN completely changed and I just don't have time to review anything. Um, and it's since the days gone conversation, uh, started happening. I got some hate on my Instagram and that's when I know that people are really mad at me because people can tweet at me all day long. And I'm like, I've got a quality filter. I don't really see it. But when someone comes onto like the photography a website, me, yeah. like yeah. a video of me, like looking at a pig, <laughs> yeah. which is what they commented on being like, I'm like, okay, wow. That's right. People really like really upset at me about that review score. But I do want to note that in my review, uh, I did say that there was a good game in here somewhere and like really did highlight what I thought was the most original and 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 big biggest selling point of the game, which was the horde the horde mm -hmm. uh, system, which I still think is remarkable and amazing, and could have been utilized more in the original. Um, you know, I did I didn't think that the world itself was particularly interesting, but again, this is all stuff that could be improved upon, yeah. right? Like it wasn't it wasn't like oh this was such a stinker. I it, like this is beyond redeemable. Right. Um, there were so many interesting systems at play that were just incredibly rough around the edges. And yeah, I have had some some hate from people uh, you know, saying why why would you why are you being all thoughtful now when you when you sort of stoned it at the time and it's like well I didn't actually stone it at the time I thought it had a great deal of potential 
Um, and it's sort of like, remember when Assassin's Creed first came out and it was so rough around the edges and didn't feel fully realized. I was just going to say. Then Assassin's yeah. Creed 2 came along and it was the fully realized version of that. And, and I thought that there was so much in Days Gone that could have been built upon and improved upon and it could have been that great franchise, you know? Why? And so I was really bummed out that that the sequel was canned yeah why build this groundwork why spend seven years building the groundwork to this game uh the studio is working on this for a very long time like you know architecturally this game is awesome like mechanically it's fun as hell i thought it was like rough around the edges in terms of like story it was the pacing and and the sort of like overall kind of bloated feel to it like i understand that they felt like they needed to put a lot of content in there but just like you said the first assassin's creed game that's like a 6.8 7 out of 10 but imagine mm -hmm. if ubisoft just been like well uh you know reviewers and fans didn't connect with this the way we wanted it to we were gonna bring the franchise out back and shoot it in the head like that's crazy to me like the the fact that ubisoft invested in that series and the developers and and attributed it to all of their their sort of entire portfolio of worldwide studios attempting to uh revitalize it every year grow it uh evolve it like this is a, that's a franchise it's it's taken on and it, it's gone in so many different directions since then and that could have happened here and should happen here like well, this is something that no one should give up on like it's the sucks. weird thing is like i i mean how many how many types of cola does pepsi sell they, they have Pepsi. They don't have like RC Cola under the hood too. Like they have they have their one flagship cola. I feel like in this case, this is like, you know, the, the Days Gone is another zombie game. Don't call them zombies though. You know, alongside The Last of Us, which is also a zombie game where you call them clickers. They're not the same thing. And they feature, you know, like a grizzled protagonist with the with the scratchy beard. And it's it's sad because they have lost a loved one or whatever. And mechanically, they're, they're night and day. I actually prefer Days Gone across the board, but it is, it is like, so similar i mean in terms of like what it is as a as a piece of media like it's look at um, it's a third person game where you shoot zombies and you survive in the post-apocalypse and i can totally see why you know if you know sony had to look at okay one of these has to go it's like well the last of us is clearly like the that's the the successful one that's the one everyone loves and it's i mean i would love to see i mean i'd love to see them try to build a, a last of us game in this engine that would be phenomenal it'd be really interesting um but it's i totally get why you know, it, it at the end of the day, like, you know, this isn't this isn't like Assassin's Creed. This isn't like a unique universe. This is kind of this. This is another zombie game. There's a lot of them. And I, I kind of get why Sony would be like, uh, maybe it's not worth the worth the investment. I don't I don't know. I, I get it. But I'm also like there was something I, I keep coming back to the hoard, the hordes like there was something so cool about that technology. And, you know, I mean, obviously what they were pitching, if the report was true was very different to a single player experience it was a co-op shared world uh sort of thing and maybe that's you know another reason why sony was like well that's not you know something we're interested in but i do i just do think that there was enough there and and, and like there was just enough built that could have been improved upon in a way that was really remarkable that leaned a little more into the horror and thrill side of 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 days gone i, I mean i um, wish that days gone had been if it had been more like like I don't know, more fun. If it had been more like, Hey, it's the, it's the end of the world. Let's go. Like again, mm -hmm. they gave you, you know, they gave you, you got a backwards hat and a rocket motorcycle. That's like inherently fun stuff, but you're still playing as this scruffy, sad bastard who wore a vest to his own wedding. Like it's just maybe naughty dog could be doing the serious sad zombie stuff. And then days gone could be like, school's out everybody motorcycle time. Like let's woohoo. Let's have a good one. I, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, I understand them worried about being or hypothetically being worried about having like too many 
uh, sort of like of their in-house IPs be similar, right? You've got this scruffy, you know, post-apocalyptic zombie game. I think like what kind of messes me up though is like, had they taken this team off of this game and put them on something brand new or tasked them with doing something brand new, that'd be one thing. But to 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 kind of look at your stable and hypothetically say, hey, we have too many games that are similar. That's why you should remake one of them and also uh, maybe make like the the sixth uncharted game or fifth uncharted game not counting the card the card one um like that's that to me is like it's not like this is a team that was you know getting pushed into a bold new direction and being told to go create some brand new ip that's different than anything else they're doing like if you look at something like horizon that's very clearly like the kill zone team was like so what's next let's let's really just go uh, let's deviate from what we're known let's go for nuts here. <laughs> you know let's go bonkers and instead we yeah. get you, you know like we're gonna get a remake of a game that has already been remastered and then potentially the the fifth or sixth uncharted game like that's kind of a bummer to me yeah i th- i think the thing just to to speak to everyone because i think you're all making a, a lot of really valid points about like the the state of all this stuff it, it is i i think lucy to your point like the thing that bums me out the most is like the the potential of the horde stuff that they were doing the like the work they put into building a like very like thorough relationship of the character to a vehicle as well like there's enough there that i could also see why they were thinking of like oh yeah a co-op biker gang in a a post-apocalyptic zombie world you could you could make that work and and i think there's so much potential there that i wish we could see and i hope that the work that they did on all this stuff can be applied to a new world in a new universe um because because max i i I get your point very much of like from a from a like pulled back marketing standpoint of talking to a mass audience of a hundred plus million ps4 owners to be like here are two zombie games that aren't zombies but here are the differences and have to get into the nitty-gritty you start to lose the elevator pitch that you can sell Mm -hmm. people on easily my my only thing with that is like the signs of that were there kind of from day one i feel like when we when we first saw days gone everyone was like oh another zombie game from the first party sony stable and and like i i think there's there should have been enough realization that if if that was the concern they probably could have deviated from the course and let them use the work that they were building to make this world and do something different um i mean yeah i Sorry, I was just going to say just to wrap up, like my hope is and and I get that the worry from that team is because at the end of the day, even if the critical the critical success wasn't there, the commercial success did seem to be there. The audience did gravitate to it. There is a very, very dedicated Days Gone audience out there within the Mm -hmm. PlayStation base. It sold well enough. It it, you know, the Bloomberg report said it was profitable. Um, It's one of those things that like. It, it's a bummer to me also that the studio may not get to continue what they were clearly passionate about, but then also to kind of have their next steps be taken away from them uh, and be like, here now here's this, this other studio's work that we need you to work on. If that is all the case, again, this is all allegedly we are only seeing a, a bit of the picture here. I do want to emphasize that like we, we know, especially because I'm sure there are potentially Sony devs out there who, who may hear some of this discussion. Like we know we do not have a full understanding of the situation. Exactly. Um, There's so many like yep. po- politics and, and deals and, money things that we've got no clue about um and this is There's, purely based there are off some things we know what we're talking about in some instances where we are just <laughs> frightened animals and that's this is a little <laughs> bit of both you know yes yeah i think that is an excellent way to put it but yeah it is um i i think the thing for me and the and the thing that i essentially put um a lot of like what my ethos was in my op-ed um was something that and i don't know how how many of you saw this but like the the day this report broke there was a Sean Layden uh 
piece of uh, an E3 speech that he gave like six years ago where he was talking about Vib Ribbon and how it went it went against the grain and wasn't afraid to be ambitious. And that was the Sony mantra and was like the, these risks and creating something new was what Sony could be. And I, I think like seeing that clip juxtaposed with doubling down on a remake of a beloved game that we all just played a sequel of along with studios maybe having to work on other existing projects because their new projects can't take off. And then uh, coupled with Sony Japan being shrunk essentially to Team Asobi and not having the ability to also have the Team Eco team within it, the Gravity Rush team, the, you know, three or four other teams. It's just that worrying thing of, and this is sort of where I like, um, you know, wrapped everything up was like, I can't wait for the sequels we're getting. I like totally hypocritically. I totally. cannot wait for the next mm-hmm. Spider-Man, the next horizon, the next God of war. I cannot wait for those things. But at the end of the day, a lot of those things, you know, maybe Spider-Man aside were born from risks. Horizon was a risk for the Killzone team to take, even if Killzone was getting a, a bit long in the tooth, but like a new God of war that wasn't like the old God of wars was a risk for that team to take and to work on for so many years. I, I want there to still be room for those risks is I think at the end of the day, the, the biggest thing that we won't really know until a few years from now, what Sony is doing. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and do know also to your point, like, the report said that there was a lack of marketing support around dreams and a yeah. lack of kind of internal um, holding that engine up as something incredibly special, um, which which I think out of all of what was spoken about in that report, that was the one that kind of made me the most sad um, because, you know, dreams is remarkable and it, it has been, it's been in, it's been, it was in development for years and years and years and years and years. Um, and it, it, to hear that it wasn't properly supported again, allegedly, um, is, is such a bummer. Um, because it was, you know, P- PlayStation has been syn- synonymous with, with risk taking for, for years. It was the risky, uh, the far more riskier player in, in the sort of the console race between Xbox and PlayStation. And, and, and that's what I always thought, you know, it was a, a risk taker and, and, and to sort of hear that it's, it's Sony is playing things safe and, and that's the kind of internal vibe um, is a real bummer. Um, and I hope that that changes. I mean, this is just a moment in time, you know, there's plenty, PlayStation will continue to evolve as it has. Uh, but I do want to see those risks taken again. I got they, a risk for you. They should make microtransactions in Dreams. You want to add a square? It's four dollars. I was going to go the opposite direction. Two hundred bucks. They announced recently that they are they're investing significant money into the studio that made Dreams. So that's good, right? Like they are mm-hmm. that that's that's that it's not like they're shutting that down. I also truly believe that that's that's the kind of game that um, will continue to see uh, extended life um, when it becomes more accessible to people. Like I, I, we've said this for a very long time, but making that sort of like a, a stock software on the PS five is the best thing you could possibly do. Just put that, yeah. put dreams out for free for everyone, even make it a PlayStation plus game, make it one of the, you know, the, the, the PS plus collection, just put it in there. Give, give people the, the option to play it. I think like that's the pro- the problem with that game was always like, you know, what am I actually doing and where do I start and who, you know, how do I access, like, what is this? You know, they had, they had a tough time selling that. Um, the Sean Layden thing was fascinating to me. Uh, my favorite part of it was when he said um, it wasn't a million seller, but that wasn't the point. Yeah. Like to me, that is, that is the most important mm-hmm. thing that somebody, 
in a position like him can say, because it shows you that there is opportunity underneath this company to make smaller, more intimate, um, risky, you know, and, and strange uh, avant-garde projects that aren't necessarily, you know, multi-million sellers. They aren't necessarily grizzled AAA first party stabbing games. Like there's cool, weird art indie stuff in there too. Um, and I, I think that they'll find that again. We had sort of heard, you know, like off the record from a couple people over the last few years that Sony had been sort of pulling away from funding independent projects. We saw that a lot in the beginning of the PS4 uh, era where they were really helping a lot of small studios bring their games to the finish line, um, putting in significant funds and stuff like that. And it seems like they pulled away from that because ultimately, like for business, that's not the smartest thing in the world is to give a small studio you know, millions of dollars to barely break even. But I do think that that is part of sort of telling the story about a console and creating a narrative of what of what the, the PlayStation brand represents. Like, it's not to me just the big games. And I know we're going to get those. I know I know PS5 is going to have an awesome year. Uh, I know it's probably having even better next year. Um, but I, I do love when those smaller things are uh, kind of peppered in here and there. We do get Returnal soon, which is cool. That's, you know, Housemark got to do their own thing there. I, I love that. Um, there's, you know, there's there's a bunch of cool smaller games that are sort of coming uh, underneath the PlayStation umbrella at some point. But um, I I do worry that it's just going to be a focus on just the biggest stuff. And that that is worrisome in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's, you know, there's the potential, and obviously we've seen it with uh, Shuhei in, in his new role of focusing on indies, and we've seen, I, I want to say, a more regular cadence of PlayStation indie drops and, like, announcements and things, and maybe that's how they're mitigating the risk, is they're putting it on the developers who are already doing this stuff rather than internally, and, you know, over time, that strategy may make sense, but, it, you know, to your point, Brian, as you were saying, like, at the end of the day, all this stuff is a business, and we can't ignore the business realities around it, but I think the reason that that laden quote rang true with so many people was because at least like the the risk of business there there was some understanding that art had a place in there as well um mm -hmm. and and you know the the worry i think is that the pretense of art having a place where risk can be taken is, is going to fall away and it's just going to be the biggest blockbusters and the biggest hits that have to succeed no matter what um and with, without those risks that's you know, those risks are how you get those bigger franchises eventually. So I, I think the hope is that we, we see a return to that in some case. But um, yeah, as we've all been saying, like things in the short term, you know, there was a lot of doom and gloom when this report came out. Things in the short term for Sony, we're going to see some big games. It's going to be a big first couple of years for the PS5. I have no doubt about like we're going to have a lot of really, really great, awesome games to talk about in the next couple, you know, 12 to 18 months. What comes after, though, is a is a big question, um, and we'll we'll have to we'll have to track that stuff as it happens. Um, other than that, though, I did want to move on to talk a little bit about what we've been playing. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, Max, I want to start with you since uh, we haven't gotten to hear what, what what have you been playing slash have you had time to play things? Um, <laughs> I've gotten to play a fair amount because babies don't do much besides sleep and throw up and stuff. But um, yeah, I find, I gave Persona Five Royal another shot. Um, I got about mm, 20 hours in, maybe I got a good chunk of the, I've a little bit further than I was last time. Actually, no, I think I got to exactly where I was last time, which is the beginning <laughs> of the art gallery stuff. And, uh, okay. um, that game is really hard to go into after playing Yakuza seven. I'll be honest, because, um, Interesting. it gets, it gets hailed as like a, you know, a magnificent art JRPG, but I feel like it has a lot more visual novel going for it. Um, it's just sort of weird to be like, 
And I know this has been, I think I've said this before. It's, it's still, it's beautiful. It's incredible. It's incredibly well-made, but it's like, if you go into it, I don't know if you go into expecting, uh, a certain amount of freedom, it's not, it's not quite there, you know, like it's a lot about, it's, it's more about like, you know, working within a schedule. Like it's, it's, it's fairly structured. Um, but it's funny to me because when I was a teenager, uh, I had all the time in the world and I would use it to do watch all the episodes of Dragon Ball Z or whatever. Like I would you know, tape <laughs> Toonami every day. Like I, I time yeah. was meaningless because I got off school at three 30. And now as an adult, time is fleeting and it's weird to play a video game that takes 120 hours and 12 of those are to get through the tutorial. And then you'll be like, all right, I'm finally to the good part. All right, it's nighttime. I want to go have an adventure. I want to go to the, you know, I want to go eat the big hamburger. And then You're my tired. cat goes, yeah, my cat goes, I hey, got a big day tomorrow. I was like, I have a big day tomorrow in real life. Like, let me play the video game. I got 15 minutes free. What are you doing, you stupid cat? Anyway, aside from that, I also jumped into Disco Elysium, which uh, is phenomenal. I really love that game. I heard all of the, you know, the, you know, nonstop praise that it got when it was on PC. And I said, that PC is for typing on. I'm not playing games on there. And um, <laughs> no, I got a good chunk of the way into that. Uh, I'm not sure how much I have left. I actually have no idea how long that game is, um, but I'll, I'll keep chipping away at that. It is, good Lord, it is bleak and, and clever and really just, I don't know what I was expecting, but that it is so nice to play something that is, speaking of too many things being familiar, it is like so nice to jump into a game that is like not like anything else I've played. Um, totally doing its own thing. And then we also, uh, we noted that, what is it? Final Fantasy 14 is doing its PlayStation 5 beta slash free trial right now. Yes. And yeah. Jonathan, I think we both agreed that we're going to, are you checking it out? I, yeah, I'm down to, I spent about an hour creating a character and then, uh, I was like, well, my, <laughs> and then you went to bed. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I'm, I'm kind of tired right now and I wasn't feeling too great. So I was like, I'll, I'll play this later. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally down to do a sort of beyond guild for this. Yeah. I hit, I hit level eight last night. Okay. Like I'm giving it a shot. I made a horrible little boy. His name is Travis <laughs> Buffnut and he's a little nice. redhead with a mullet and he's got earrings and he's got rosy <laughs> cheeks and he likes to hop around. He's got an axe. It's horrible. I have, it's horrible. I love Actually, it. Actually, I try to make a character named Ricky Porno, but it wouldn't allow me to type those words. Into <laughs> the, um, so I'm taking it seriously. It's it's weird because I don't know. I've, I've never gotten into an MMO and I feel like there's a reason for that. But I'm giving it a shot and being like, yeah. I'll, you know, give it a fair shake and see what happens. Because I've I've seen adult men cry over this game. Yeah, I, to, I yeah. yeah, like speaking of the the effusive praise that we we've all heard for Disco, I feel like I hear that with uh ff14 every time a new expansion comes out it's like the legions of fans are just like this is this is not just the best mmo ever it's the best final fantasy it's the best rpg right. you have to play it so i this this feels like the time to get into it if there ever was okay well i'm gonna join you guys yeah I'm, like i'm saying it now because i love final fantasy i played all the you know the big playstation final fantasy installments and um this is the kind of one that i i, I think i tried to jump in at a friend's insistence. And, it, you know, I just, I, I didn't have really anyone around me playing as well. So maybe if you guys are playing and I'm playing, we'll get into it. Something Excellent. Hurts. Yeah. That's not good. I think uh, Brian's kid also would like to play Final Fantasy fourteen. How do you feel about Dad Dad playing a, a nerdy JRPG MMO for a hundred something hours? How's that? No. No, not a fan. Of um, <laughs> I don't play. Speaking her. of the Brian, uh, if if you need distraction, we can we can uh, talk without you. If you need no, to no, no, it's totally cool. Take. I've actually I've been playing uh, It Takes Two, which is my favorite game this year by far. It's been 
fantastic. It's super, super fun. Uh, it's legit probably one of my favorite co-op experiences I've ever had playing a video game, probably since like the first time I played through Super Mario 3D World. Um, I don't think you have to be like uh, expert 3D platforming, uh, you know, aficionado to get through this game. I think you can be a totally casual video gamer, um, you know, partner, roommate, girlfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, whatever the and and get through this game like it's just super, super fun. It's grounded in a very uh, in a darker story than I was expecting. Um, it, it, this happens in the first few seconds of the game, but just to like kind of briefly explain, it starts with like a couple fighting and uh, they sit down with their daughter and they're like, we, we're going to get divorced. And she's like, I made dolls of you and I cried on them. And now you're stuck in the magic hell world that you have to cooperate to survive. So it's like this couple that is on the verge of splitting up forever uh, and their their kid being left alone to then having to fight through this like weird sort of a honey. I shrunk the kids nightmare version of their house. Uh, and it's just it's brilliant. It's it continuously uh, incorporates new mechanics um, in a really smart, almost Nintendo sort of way where like they give you. Uh, this uh, this new option to play with and then utilize it in every possible facet. Uh, it's super forgiving in terms of like lives and deaths and stuff like that. So um, you don't have to worry about getting constant game overs. The bosses definitely push back a little bit more than I was expecting. But like when you beat one, it just feels awesome. So, yeah, I feel like this game's kind of slept on. Uh, I, there's I think when you buy the game, it gives you a free copy to give to somebody else which is really cool. So they can go play it. Uh, I'm playing couch co-op with my wife and we're just like in tears laughing. It's so much fun. So yeah, if you've been cooped up for a while with uh, somebody else in your home and you're looking for something fun to do together, that isn't just like looking at rectangles on Netflix and, you know, falling asleep, uh, <laughs> check, check out. It takes two. It's awesome. This sounds like the next best thing to a crash bandicoot divorce game. I'm sold. Yeah, this actually, that's how it started um, in, in my head canon. <laughs> uh, that not enough divorce games, I think, is the, the message of what you were saying. Um, divorce Lucy, unleashed. Any, yeah. <laughs> Lucy, anything you've been playing uh, new since uh, we nothing, nothing of, of massive note that I've been playing on the PlayStation systems that I, I do want to say I put 70, no, I put 80 hours into Bravely Default 2. Um, wow. wow. On Switch. So we, we don't need to get into it. <laughs> I, I have regrets. Uh, moving on. Fair enough. <laughs> did uh, you like I, it? No, I did like it. It's an old school square JRPG. Uh, it's, it's, it, it scratches that itch completely. Um, it's a total delight. Um, I mean, I'm enjoying it very much, but yeah, I don't know where those 80 hours came from <laughs> and why I decided to do that. So, well, I'm, I'm proud of you. Uh, I, I've been playing, as I said, I, I spent an hour creating a character in Final Fantasy 14, so I'll, I'll jump into it and we can start our Beyond Guild. Um, I finally beat the Guardian Ape uh, over the weekend in Sekiro uh, <laughs> after last weekend. Nice. The weekend before I literally streamed, I think, for four hours and couldn't beat it. And then another three hours passed and I finally beat it. Uh, that was a very, very proud moment. But also just like that fight really tests you in ways of like, you need to be patient. You need to understand every move and, and where you're at at every moment. It's, it's a really, really great, like teachable. Mo every boss fight in that game so far has felt like a very good teachable moment for how to play that game. That, that um, thing where like you get your ass kicked for an entire day by a boss and then go to bed and then wake up the next day and just beat the shit out of him. It was one of my favorite feelings in the world. Really? It's like, it's that's so one great. of those. 
it's so great. What a, what, yeah. a, what a joy that is. It um you know a, a few weeks back we talked about things that just sucked. Uh, that does not <laughs> suck to be able to to be able to just beat that boss after after spending so many hours as as Red is showing. Um, it's it's one of those moments of like disbelief when it happens. Uh, but that was great. And then I feel like I've been playing other stuff too, but I can't remember. Oh, I started Hollow Knight finally as well, uh, and have been really enjoying that and finally getting to understand that. Uh, the mixture of both like beloved platforming and almost beloved like Soulsborne-esque boss fights in it as well. Um, so I'm really enjoying that too and, and can't wait to keep diving into that world. But yeah, it's been, I feel like we're on the cusp of a bunch of stuff coming out. Like as as we had said earlier, Returnal is a couple weeks away. Uh, Near Replicant is a couple weeks away as well. Uh, even though Deathloop got delayed, which we had talked about last week, I, I forgot to bring this up earlier in the news. Deathloop got delayed till September, so that that'll move out of May. But we'll we'll have plenty to talk about in May with Resident Evil, Biomutant, and more. Uh, but yeah, it feels like the the release calendar is going to start to get really crazy all of a sudden. So that should be really fun. Um, before we we wrap up the show, I just wanted to briefly bring up a memory card story. Memory card, of course, is our weekly segment where you, the viewers and listeners at home, write in with your sad, weird, wacky, happy, whatever memories of your PlayStation and gaming life. Uh, and we, we read those on the show. I almost said we weed those on the show. So that's where my voice is at today. Uh, you can write into beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card and we'll read them uh, on the show uh, in the future. I want to thank everyone who's been writing in. We definitely have a bit of a backlog with them but please continue to write in we have a lot of a lot of great ones to read uh and one of them that i'm going to uh read comes from chris chris wrote in and said um I've been a PlayStation and Nintendo fan for most of my life since I was old enough to have enjoyed the NES, the Master System, and European consoles like the Commodore, the Amiga, and the Spectrum. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Chris uh, had an unfortunate experience where they they had a partner who cheated on them and left them some years back, and they just stopped playing video games at that point. Uh, they they couldn't explain why you know they started doing that in context, but it just happened, unfortunately. But uh, the PS4 came out, and they they decided to take take a chance on it. And uh, Chris wrote, I began playing again, started social socializing with my old mates, work colleagues and meeting new players around the world. It helped me come out of my shell. And now with my new PS5, I also have a wife and kid and I'm happier than I've ever been before. Uh, so who says video games are bad for you? Uh, I just wanted to read that. Uh, I love that. A story of, of, yeah. of coming back from a dark place and how video games helped them through that time. Maybe I should have done that when I went through my life's biggest breakup instead of going on Lexapro, but we'll never know. It's uh, Why not both? Lexapro Why is one of the hottest gaming handhelds, though. It's up there with the Wonderswan <laughs> and the Wellbutrin. The Super Lexapro is where it's at, though. Uh, the Lexapro was the revision <laughs> model that came out halfway through the Lexa generation, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it had an extra controller on it for some reason, like an extra analog stick, but they never used it. It wasn't great. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on, just another brief one to, to end on a, on a lighter note as well. Uh, Thomas wrote in and said, uh, last week you guys mentioned the Game Shark. I absolutely loved modding my games with it and having lots of fun cheats uh, and unlocked that normally weren't available. Uh, this one time, though, uh, it bit me in the butt. I used it when I bought my copy of Final Fantasy VIII, and the main cheats I used were max level and unlimited gill and things like that. But with FF8 enemy scale with your level so I, I unknowingly made my game extremely difficult <laughs> believe it or not cheaters don't always win 
Uh, and two very different stories about cheating there I thought I would bring up. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, good yes. nice. But thank you thank you to everyone who wrote in. Uh, and again, if you'd like to write in, please write in to beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card, and we'll read them on the show each week. Uh, before we wrap up, wanted to uh, shout out to all of you. Any plugs for either work you've been uh, working on recently that you want to shout out or anything that you've been reading, uh, listening to, watching, uh, whatnot, Brian, I'll start with you. Uh, I'm reading two books right now. One is... Uh, Kenji Lopez's uh, giant sort of like food Bible cooking book, um, which is amazing. It's he basically breaks down the sort of scientific logic behind how food is created, which I love. Uh, and I just started uh, the Awada Asks book, which is uh, based nice. on a sort of collection of like um, anecdotes and stories and the old Ask Awada um uh, Satoru Awada columns that the Nintendo used to publish. Uh, it's a really fascinating um sort of look into his philosophy on game development and design, um, what he was doing for Nintendo at the time. I think he's like one of the most interesting people that ever worked in this industry. And uh, I, I miss his input a lot, uh, but it's super cool to see what Nintendo's doing these days. And if you want to read uh, sort of where his head was during the sort of peak of a lot of the projects he was working on, uh, go check that book out. It just came out and it's a, a very brisk read. Awesome. Uh, Lucy, anything you want to shout out? Yeah, I, I'm going through a phase right now where all I can listen to uh, are Stephen King podcasts. Um, so I've been listening to the King cast, which is um, Scott Wampler, Eric, Eric Visby's uh, nice. incredible podcast. The, the guests they get on that podcast is so, is so good. Um, and I've also been listening to The Company of the Mad, uh, which is a podcast about the stand. Um, and it's a whole bunch of really notable uh, folk and across literature, across uh, TV and, and film, reading The Stand during the global pandemic. But what's interesting is that it started right at the very beginning of the global pandemic, and I've only just started listening to it. And it's kind of wild listening to them talk about the pandemic back in, like, April 2020, because they were so deeply paranoid, and of course they were. I mean, we all were during that time. Like, everyone was, like, wiping down their groceries and everything. I mean, I never did, but, like, you know, a lot of people were. Like, everyone was wearing gloves. The messages that we were getting from the government um, were so all over the place. Um, and it was really – it's really fascinating hearing them read through the stand going through that, like, the grips of that paranoia that we had back in, in early 2020. Yeah. Um, and 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 – I'm kind of pleased that I wasn't listening to it at the time because I don't think I, I would have felt <laughs> that the degree of kind of like hindsight that I feel now, especially as someone fortunate enough to be vaccinated. Um, but it's a, it's a great listen. I highly, highly recommend it. And um, I'm, I'm reading alongside. So, you know, if you ever want to revisit The Stand, um, this is a great place to, <laughs> to do it. That's awesome. The the stand's one of my favorite books. So yeah, I will have to check I, that out. God, I love that book. I totally um I totally forgot. I watched the the CBS show, the or the right. Paramount Plus or whatever the show is, oh, which yeah. is really good in the beginning and then it completely goes off the rails because That's I, what I've heard. There's oh, like the, the last episode if you if you jump into it, if you've read the book, don't watch the last episode. Just just skip it. <laughs> just it pretend it ends when it does and just call it a day. Um because apparently they just hired Stephen King to like write a new ending and he basically like George Lucas did. And it's, it's like, it's so, it's so <sighs> bad. Um, but yeah, the stand is the stand rules. If you haven't read that book, you should read that book. It kicks ass. Um, in speaking of, uh, guardian apes, I got this, uh, wonderful hardcover collection of, uh, gorillas stuff, uh, like the band, not the, not the animal. <laughs> um, but it's, um, it's called gorillas almanac and it's like, it's, uh, 
it hit me that that first Gorillaz album turned 20 like last month, which makes me feel ridiculously old. Um, wow. But that was like one of my one of my favorite favorite records ever. Um, I really like the early stuff. And I've been kind of, you know, dabbling in their more recent things. But I've always loved that whole like, hey, let's make a cartoon band and get weird and have lots of collaboration. And this basically feels like um, like one of those sort of like collectible magazines that they put out for like random, you know, whatever. It's a, the, the biggest movie or like a band or whatever, except it's yeah. about a fake band. So it has all these like behind the scenes tour photos and anecdotes That's about awesome. <laughs> non-existent fake, you know, monkey people who fight zombie apes or whatever. Like it's, it's such a wonder, it's a bunch of like cool, like Jamie Hewlett artwork. And there's like weird, it, it, it feels like a very, like a very high production value zine. Um, That's and it's so neat. Cool. It's like, I, I read the, the beastie boys book. Um, I think earlier or last year, which was the same thing, but about real people. And then this time around, it's about, you know, cartoon, a cartoon band. So that's, that's neat. It's like 20 bucks that's on awesome. Amazon. So yeah. That's so cool. I didn't know that existed. I'll have to go check that out. Um, and yeah, just to wrap up, uh, I have been absolutely obsessed with, uh, uh, uk show called taskmaster uh it's entirely up on youtube right now i've i've blown through like the first seven series in a couple weeks it's a essentially uh five comedians get tasked with ridiculous things and the taskmaster grades them per each episode and they they all are uh, awarded points it's essentially a game show but they're all like nonsensical things like get the ball into the golf like there's a there's a the whole uh get get the ball into the hole but you can't carry it you can't pick it up the the least amount of strokes wins and it's just across the yard and they have to find the easiest way to do that sometimes it's like get a gift for the taskmaster that you think he would enjoy the most or like x y and z each show opens with them bringing something in it's like and at the end of the show each of them whoever wins wins all five of the things that were brought in at the beginning and it's like bring in your shiniest thing or bring in the thing from a relative you hate the most or things like that it's all <laughs> weird and bizarre but it is so funny uh, it's the most i've laughed probably all you know pandemic year it has been just truly hilarious uh and i like comfort food i can't recommend it enough um, awesome. but other than that, that is pretty much going to wrap us up for this week's episode of podcast beyond. Thank you, Brian, Max and Lucy for joining me for this week. So glad to have you all here together again. Uh, so great to have this. Remember beyond is live Wednesdays, normally at 3 PM Pacific at beyond.ign.com, youtube.com slash IGN games and your favorite podcast services around the world. You can find us all on Twitter. I'm at JM Dornbush. Brian is at agent fizzle. Lucy is at Lucy O'Brien and Max is at Max Scoville. Uh, thank you all again so much for joining me. Thank you to red our producer for helping to make the show happen. And thank you to everyone out there watching and listening. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always beyond beyond. Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of the go kid go network. Do your kids love wacky worlds, superheroes and inventing? Of course they do. That's why our shows, Bobby wonder and Lucy. Wow are set in Pflugerville. The nonstop fun and adventure universe where imagination, creativity, STEM, and positive role models abound. Join the Pflugerville fun by searching for Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>